economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on the show, we have Dr. Russell McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne H. Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And we also have Luke Graham, our other graduate assistant and editor. All right. Well, we're down Dr. Jacobson today. It's a shame he had to be out. So we've just got the philosopher, a couple of graduate students, and myself to talk about China's social credit system. We did an economics road trip here at Ottawa University and traveled over to Wichita to listen to Dr. Abigail Devereaux. She's an assistant professor of economics at Wichita State University. And the title of her talk was On China's Social Credit System and Other Forms of Algorithmic Governance. And it turned out to be pretty fascinating. I guess of the four here, it was just Nate and I. Nate, what did you think about that talk? I thought it was really interesting. I've never even thought about China using algorithms or cameras or facial recognition to see a social score on a person. I didn't think that was even a thing. I didn't think that the values from the people up top could be spread out on society. And if you don't follow those certain values, you get docked on your, your score. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like, and then you can't do things if your score is bad. You can attend social activities. Like you can't. Even internet access. Yeah, internet access. If limited you're not, yeah, or something. If your number is bad, they're going to they're gonna shame you. And, they, and that's what we see in China. Shame is a big thing. And they're going to shame you if your score is bad. So you see people like trying to follow this perfect line because the algorithm might not work as well. And I just thought it was a really interesting conversation that she brought up because I had no idea about it. So it was, it was really insightful. To see yeah. And I had, thing. I had heard about it over the years, but I didn't realize it was really in action. So What's let me exact score. System? Well, let me, let me read a little excerpt and then we'll get what we know about it or what we learned from the talk. So since 2014, China has been developing a social credit system that goes beyond existing financial credit ratings in an attempt to project less tangible personal characteristics like trustworthiness, criminal tendencies, and group loyalty onto a single scale, a single number. Combined with increasingly pervasive facial recognition technology, China's social credit system is already changing the behavior of its citizens. It's not only an example of algocracy, where algorithms are being used to change or govern behavior, Should we be worried? Yes or no? Personal ratings and algorithmic governance are here to stay, but they can be wielded for bad and for good. So that was her description of the talk. And I didn't realize that they were actually doing this. So to get back to your question, Luke, what I saw her put up was there was kind of five categories that creates your social credit score, three of which were kind of the westernized credit score for our financial credit score. Yeah. So how much debt you take on, whether you paid back your bills, you know, similar to our FICO score here in the United States. But then there was other two categories that were something along the lines of criminal record and whether you've uh, even done a little jaywalking here or there. And yeah, I, I, I have the five I right here. I can't remember they are. Okay, go. Uh, there's, there's five different subjects and categories that are, that are weighted differently in this algorithm mm-hmm. that happens. So the first one is financial credit history. And that's 35% of the algorithm is, is what your score is made out of. 
The second one is purchase related behavior. That's 25%, oh, that's like right. what you're purchasing and other stuff like that. Actual purchases, yeah. which is not done in the United States. Yeah. And then number three was having a steady income and possessing assets. That's 20% of it. Hmm. Four is personal information. That's 15% of it. A whole 15% of your score is just personal information. And then five is social behavior on the platform. And that's around five to 10%. <laughs> So just your behavior will act like... Like on the platform, is that just within the whole country or is that just in this specific scenario? I think the platform, they mean uh, of the stuff that they're gathering. I imagine if people are in super rural areas, China's huge, there's, you know, whatever, 1.2 yeah. billion people, but the, the major metropolises of Beijing and other major cities, they're, I just read something this morning, actually, that they're covered with cameras everywhere and they're looking to get up to 400 million cameras by 2020 the the book i was reading was back in 20 i think 14 time frame and there was 100 million cameras and now they're they were looking to get to 400 million cameras by 2020 so i don't know if that came true or not like i said the book that i was reading was a little bit older so yeah the coverage and surveillance and orwell's big brother is alive and well apparently china so I wasn't there. I think both of you have done a decent job about explaining what the social credit system is, how it's calculated, and what the question of the topic of the talk was. What was your take on what her answer to that question was? Which the question, as I think you stated, is should we be worried? Yeah. Uh, I mean, her answer was yes. I think what she ultimately boiled it down, Nate, you can help me out with this, is that they're going to pose it as, well, we're doing this, the normal trade-off that we're all used to of give up some of your personal, give up some of your freedoms and we'll make you more secure and safe, right? So it's kind of that trade-off. But she said, the way China's system set up, the scoring can be changed. It's all at the discretion of the, of the people in power. And so it ultimately comes back to power and can be changed on you. So there's no good fixed rules that even you're following because it is at the discretion of the regime. And so ultimately uh, her conclusion was uh, bad. Yeah, we're, go we're going down a bad road there because like she said in this, to boost your score, sometimes you have to share links from state-sponsored news agencies praising them. So whatever changes happen from the, the state, the top, if you praise them, you get a better credit score. And so everyone's going to praise the terrible decisions that they're making. And it's, we're just going down a bad road. It's, it's not going to be good. So you said you agree with Russ. You agree with Abigail's, Dr. Devereux's conclusion that we ought to be worried or that this seems worrisome. Yeah, I, I think so in general was my takeaway. I mean, I was worried yeah. when I came in there. So she only com uh, confirmed that. <laughs> okay. And you who went to the talk to you said... Mates, we should be worried. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Mates worried a little bit too. What about you? I wasn't there, but I think this is pretty scary. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you're worried too. So it's good to have that all out in the open. And I would just like to say to China that I think this is a great idea. <laughs> so when you are putting my three colleagues in the gulag, maybe you could put me in charge of them since I will be a loyal servant. I would be happy to share some of those links that Nate was talking about, yeah. not sharing. <laughs> I'd be happy to share some of those links to boost my social credit score so that I can have the food instead of these people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I want the food. Definitely some of the dangers. Yeah. So, uh, Russ, you talked about how this is actually a little bit similar to our current financial credit score. What would you say to somebody who says, well, look, we, we have this, you know, your current financial credit score, 
constrains a lot of the things that you that you can do. Why is this so much worse? Yeah, I mean, I thought about that as she was speaking too. The credit score as currently held is all through voluntary association in terms of you agreed to get a credit card, you agreed to the terms of how you're going to pay it back, you didn't pay it back. And so now that gets reported to a private agency, by the way, a credit reporting agency, and that information gets disseminated to others. So it's all kind of voluntary contractual arrangements in the United States. It is possible to stay off the grid because the credit score is basically a debt score. So if you don't go into debt, your credit score will be zero. I've done this. I teach personal finance here at Ottawa. And so I have my students check their credit score in case there's identity theft or, or just to you know be aware of it, that how it exists and how it works is one of the chapters that we go through. And so many of the students come up with zero, like there's not enough data, you have no score. And so that's a distinct difference from now the government having its discretion on what that looks like for you. So I think that's, to me, the main part. In the current credit score regime too, that's not only that it's private, it's that there are three competing, I mean, there are three yeah. agencies that... And there's Experian, yeah, there's yeah. FICO, and then what's the third one? It's mm-hmm. the P, I think. Oh, you caught me off guard there. I should know those right off the top of my head. Experian, TransUnion. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. And yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, there's anyway. three of them. Yes, at least. <laughs> yeah. You have three different private companies that are collecting data on one aspect of your behavior. And I like that you brought up the fact that sometimes students have zero credit score and that it is kind of a debt score. One of the things that I've heard people complain about, even the way our current credit scores are operating, is that they actually encourage you to go into debt. Exactly. Like it's, it's hard to get loan to buy a house if you haven't been in debt before. Yeah. And so what that might get at is like even this restrained system of scoring individuals based on this, you know, I mean, this is a logarithmic uh, calculation, which these three agencies are conducting. This actually might encourage behavior that we might not think is ideal behavior in all cases. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I know you're on record as saying you, know, you should try to avoid being in debt as yeah, much as possible. Consumer right? debt, for sure. I'm business debt. I take a little bit different view, but you know, this is really the bank's brilliant marketing plan, is what it was. I mean, the banks now they sell credit, they make money through late fees and interest, and what better way to do it than to give you merit to you join the club and now you've got this and uh, the more you charge, the higher your score. And then a whoopsie happens in your life and people tend to use the credit card as their emergency fund. And then all of a sudden now you're paying them some fees and what looked to be a free card and a convenience and all of that was really a brilliant business plan by the banks. Yeah. And so I think once we admit that that is the case, even for our financial credit system, we can see, well, there might be some, those problems seem like they could metastasize in a full social credit system. So the purpose of a social credit system is to have a system that does for this small area that incentivizes and controls behavior the way the credit score does for financial decisions, just for our lives generally. And it does that in the same way that your financial credit score reduces your financial decisions to an objective code, right? And then turns that code into a score. 
And the social credit system says, great, let's do that for things like trust generally. Let's do that for things. And by the way, trust is defined very broadly to encompass things like, as Nate said, sharing news articles that are laudatory of the regime under which you live. (laughs) Um, So you will be punished or you, uh, you will at least be rewarded for praising your rulers. And then combining that with the fact that you are paying your bills to give you, Nate, the score of 426 or whatever, right? Which means, guess what? You get to travel this year. Congratulations. And I did like how I think when you were summarizing the talk, you said that this is already affecting the way people make decisions right? and affecting people's behavior. Russ, when you were talking about the the credit score, you said, well, you know, you know, if you jaywalk, your face can be plastered. Uh, Yeah. And that actually works very well. A lot of. I don't know if we said that on the. Oh, maybe we did. On the mic. But Yeah. yeah. So Abigail was telling a story about a colleague or something where her dad had jaywalked or he's like she knew that he was a good guy overall and did something like a jaywalk or something uh, fairly inconsequential and his uh, face was plastered on a like a new york city times square billboard of this guy did something bad and so it's this public shaming aspect that was also interesting yeah so sometimes i think when people hear that they go well that only works because somebody's ashamed because shame works and people notoriously have said shame work, you know, um, especially East Asian cultures are more shame mm-hmm. motivated. Right. Right. right um, so they would say, well, go ahead then. I'm not motivated by shame, but the point is, no, they use shame because shame works. If shame didn't work, they would do something else. Right. So the other thing that they can do is restrict your ability to travel between provinces in China right now. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, if a credit score got implemented here and shame didn't work because, you know, I'm shameless yeah. or whatever. Yeah. It went down to plane tickets, bus tickets, trains. Yeah. Um, you, you can be restricted if your score is not high enough. Yeah. And I think it goes further. Like it's more harsh than a bad credit score because the system you're placed on a publicly accessible blacklist. So anyone and everyone can see that you you have a terrible score. Like me, I can't see Luke's credit score and be like, hey, you're a terrible person, pay back your debt, you know? Yeah. But I can see the blacklist in China and you, you can see the blacklist. And that's what's weird to me is that you can see it. Another thing, my, my brother does credit repair. And so there are mechanisms in place in the United States that if there's something wrong on your credit score, you can petition and if they don't do things in a certain way, then that can be removed. And, and so there's a mechanism there where here, I assume you'd just be petitioning uh, <laughs> to the czars of your China yeah, your and it would be at their discretion again. So pretty bad news uh, for what that might look like. All right. Well, this looks like a good spot for our break. When we come back, another interesting part of our discussion was whether the cat was out of the bag. So China pursued market-based policies the last 20, 30 years and now we have innovations of Bitcoin, and we've talked about Urbit a couple different times on our podcast. And so is it too late for the Chinese government to snuff out a grassroots effort to overcome some of these, what seems to be increasing power with the credit score? We'll be back in just a bit. By 2030, the Gwinnett Institute will be known for its alumni supporters and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. The Institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to student experience, society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty, and the overlap of markets, governance, and faith. 
Young audiences will look to the Institute for Challenging and Engaging Education on Faith and Economics. The Wharton Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in pursuing economic freedom, economic justice, and human flourishing. We have a special event coming up December 3rd and 4th called PPE Fest. Please send your high school student to us to check out all the great things that we have to offer here at Ottawa and have some fun along with it. We're going to have a competition that involves philosophy, politics, and economics, some special speakers, including Dr. Jim Gortney and TK Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education. We have a $500 scholarship for all of those who attend to Ottawa, as well as some tribal stipends to cover some of the cost of coming. So please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today for more information. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. If you use iTunes, please consider giving us a five-star review. It would help others find us. We'd like to do a mailbag episode, so please send your questions to russ.mccullough at ottawa.edu. Okay, so the teaser going into break here was the market-based stuff going on, some of which was generated or started by the Chinese government, the market-based reforms that were done in the 90s. I really thought China was eventually going to start creeping more and more towards market-based policies and becoming free with some, you know, socialized, maybe they'd look like France or something. Well, the new leader, Xi Jinping, has turned that around, I'd say, in a big way. And, and I think these things that we're talking about today are just a part of that. And so the question that came up during our talk was whether it's too late. Like, can China real is the cat out of the bag or is China going to be able to snuff out the cat? We think about things of Bitcoin. Chinese citizens can use virtual private networks to go out of China and still use social media and, and the internet as if they're not in China. I think one of the issues there is if they get caught, they get this bad credit score and maybe worse. Um, so the, the punishments are pretty stiff, I think, for some of their citizens breaking the law. So that's going to give them less incentive to do so. so that's kind of one we'll just leave dangling out there. We talked about a Black Mirror episode. Luke, what, what, what were you thinking there to tie this into this talk? So for those of you that haven't heard of Black Mirror, it's a TV show basically taking technology advancements and using it in the worst light. It was so, kind of like Twilight Zone for the really old listeners, yeah, like my dad. Yeah, uh, yeah. Black and white Twilight Zone. Back Very in the similar. Day. So like in the third season, there's an episode to where uh, the main character has this social credit system, but it's based off social media alone. So every interaction, like say she posts on social media on Instagram and it gets so many likes, her score would go up or down depending on how, how many likes you would get. Same for like, if I were to see Nate on the side of the street, Nate bumps my arm and I'm like, hey, let me see your phone. We would like be able to see each other's accounts and then I could rate Nate's experience, like my experience <laughs> with Nate. So if Nate like bumped my shoulder and I'm upset with Nate, I can give him a real low score. So his social media score in this episode or in this scenario would go down. And then how Justin mentioned the shame factor is a huge part in that episode too. So there's pretty big scenario. You made me think we haven't talked about The Good Place. Have any of you seen The Good Place? So that's a credit rating score too, but it's more about evil, your sins, basically kind of a merit-based system of whether you're going to heaven or not. So that had a similar type of thing going on with it too. So one of the things that I take it in the Black Mirror episode is that someone is walking around and they're in these glasses, right? Where they just, 
And this glass is used facial recognition to identify everybody by their social credit score. So in the episode? Yeah. 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 So one of the things that I think is interesting about this is the point of a social credit score is to aggregate all these separate parts of your life and put them into one single credit score. To me, that's the most objectionable part of a Mm -hmm. social credit score. It isn't that it's based on an algorithm. It isn't even that it's centrally controlled, although I have a huge problem with that too, but it's probably my second biggest problem with it. My first biggest problem is that it attempts to aggregate these things that I think aren't commensurable, right? And so you can think about the way you live on your apps right now. If you use like Uber, you know, what happens after you get an Uber ride? Well, you, you rate the driver, right? Uh, and the driver rates you, right? And that affects your ability to get an Uber in the future, right? But what it doesn't affect your ability to do is like buy groceries at the grocery store, or it doesn't affect your ability to uh, travel on Thanksgiving if you want to fly somewhere. And this aggregation of all these disparate parts of our lives into a single credit score, I think is really, really dangerous. And I think it, it, of course, becomes more dangerous when you couple it with the thing that I said is my second biggest problem with it was that it is centralized. There's a book by James C. Scott called Seeing Like a State. And he talks about how the rise of states led to this kind of view of an individual, like a a unit that could just be, you know, you could just treat all individuals the same and treat them like undifferentiated products. Um, He talks about this, this had a very bad influence on like farming in Germany with the rise of the nation state, because all acres were treated the same. And and anyway, it's this idea that states like and being governments like to view people as commensurable and that can be ranked according to objective criteria. And it seems like this is exactly what a social credit score is doing. And if you get to this dystopian future, like in the Black Mirror episode, where that is the first thing even individuals are encountering when they encounter each other is this person has this rating from the centralized agency. And you also know that this centralized agency is going to rate me based on how I interact with this person who has this rating from the centralized agency. I think that's a really dystopian future because I think that we all like to think of ourselves as maybe being, having slightly different personalities or even trustworthiness, or, you know, we can be different kinds of people in an Uber and be a different kind of person at work. I can be, you know, fun at work or whatever, and then be very quiet on public transit or whatever. And this idea that no, 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 you are, you are Justin Clark and your social credit rating is 727 or whatever. Just, I don't know what number I said Nate's was, but I want to make sure mine is higher. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That, uh, you know, all, that all these parts of my life have to be aggregated into this one score and that one score is the first thing that everybody sees and everybody else is going yeah. to be judged by how they react to this one score. That seems like an absolute disaster. So I'm kind of hearing you say, or at least what came to my mind, is that it really reduces your opportunity for redemption. If it's that single score and it slowly moves, like let's say you do really good for two years and your score bumps up a little bit, whereas you're, if you were bad with the Uber and then you take Lyft, you have, I was bad, I was, I was, I had a bad day, I should have never done that. and okay, I'm banned from Uber basically, but now I can take Lyft and, and I can be a good person now. And I've learned from my mistakes. Like there's a quicker path to redemption. And 
I don't know. I think that's, that's healthy. Cause I think we all make mistakes that and stuff that we regret. And so to have it all pinned on this one single score doesn't allow you to redeem yourself and, and basically have another chance. Let me stop harping on China here and say, we actually heard this exact quote from Jen Psaki when she was talking months ago about, you know, well, we, the administration thinks that if you're banned from one social media site, you should be banned from all social media sites, yeah. right? That's this idea that, and I was thinking of the airlines too, with the people who were banned from Delta, they were asking that somehow that gets banned from all airlines. Yeah. So I, I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying is that the impossibility of redemption, it seems like one very bad aspect of this. Yeah. Say the Black Mirror episode, she, like there's one time at the very beginning where she messes up. And so it's literally the entire episode of her trying to redeem herself. Yeah. And she's trying over and over oh, okay. again okay. and she cannot. And it's, yeah. so it's, what you're and saying, it's depressing. Yeah. And... She's just sad because she can't get her score up and she's trying so hard. But then I suppose the response from the central planners would be, well, we'll just play baseball three strikes and you're out. Okay. So you can, your score's not going to change off one bad thing, off two bad things, but three that's going down. You yeah. know, they would just try to maybe overcome that with some other thing that I don't think would lead to a much better result. And this idea of ranking people and having an objective rank for people, this is something that you see totalitarian regimes. Yeah. This is something that has been an, a major feature of totalitarian regimes since the early 20th century. So you have Mussolini's famous quote about what fascism is, and it's everything in the state, nothing outside the state, and nothing against the state. Mm-hmm. And what you just described to me is how the credit score is being calculated it seems like that's the exact behavior that they are trying to inculcate in people, right? One of the things that's interesting is you can look back and see this done more crudely, right? How do we identify people? Well, we don't, we won't give them a credit score, right? We'll just make them wear armbands or whatever. So that in public, you don't need these fancy glasses. You can just see whatever armband somebody is wearing. And then, you know, oh, this person is in this class that belongs below this person or whatever, right? Yeah. That just was a social credit system. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I'm in India would probably be in a sense, similar. It was through family, through blood, but. Yeah. And, but, uh, you know, this idea that, oh, because we're going to cram more science into it, you know, this is more going to be more calculation heavy and your objective ranking that the state is going to see you by. And we're also going to feed this ranking to all your peers that we're going to do that based. It's going to be based more on the decisions that you've made. And of course, how we calculate the results of those decisions, right. that that somehow makes it not only okay, but something great. I, I don't buy that for a hot second. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where she kind of gravitated in her summary back to this is, this will all logically boil back to power to the state with when they have that sort of discretion to decide that you're doing what they want you to do. That's, that's a big difference from, from what we're doing now. All, uh, people created equal. I was trying to think of what that means here in the United States versus this. I I think in large part, if you haven't harmed somebody, you're not in jail. We all pretty much have equal rights in theory. And of course we can badger at the margins on, on things, but for the most part, we have this idea of equality that way with freedom. And so here it seems like the communist regime is able to just cherry pick those freedoms. Like we talked about not getting a bus ticket, not having good internet speeds, not 
And so your levels are on some sort of gradient of what you can have. I don't know if you got something to expand on that, Justin, with, with what freedom is and somewhere on a scale or something with, do we go all the way to every single thing being picked out for us? Or now we can pick out whether we want Fruit Loops or Cheerios in the morning. And then we're able to pick uh, how many hours we get to be outside. And then we eventually get to some sort of U.S. model somewhere where we can, we're pretty free to do a lot of things. You know, what, what is that spectrum? You said a, a bunch of different things. I did, there. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, the first thing I heard you talk about was something like equality and like what that means. Yeah. And then you talked about freedom. And I don't know if we're talking about the credit system, if we want to bring equality into it, it sure seems like the purpose of a credit system is to uh, treat everybody equally, I guess. Well, in a sense, right? it's to maybe try to impose an equal set of rules. The, yeah. the point of which is to end up with an unequal ranking of people, right? Yeah, yeah. Good way Start to pick out equal levels of what you need to follow. To give everybody the same score, yeah. impose the same set of rules, and then end up with a, a differentiated ranking, yeah. right? But I think we we like that kind of thing when we're talking about like, well, that's how we should do the Olympics or whatever, right? You start everybody at the same line. You say you fire the gun <laughs> yeah. and you see who, who comes in first and whatever. That's, yeah. you know, that's what we want. Yeah. But I don't think that's what we want socially for you know our everyday lives. And I think that what we want is the freedom to do that kind of thing individually. I think it's a it's an affront to the fact that we actually have to make our own judgments about other people. And the idea that somebody ought to socially matter, that there is an objective social ranking is an affront to this to the idea that really the social value of anybody anybody's social rank has to be in the minds of everybody else around them. This is like central planning 101, right? This is, you know, you can, if you read the use of knowledge in a society, right? This is the point that that kind of knowledge can't be aggregated. Right. And and we're all different too. So it's somewhat of an affront that we're all equal and let's fire the gun and see where we end up. But really, let's say that you get a, a downward rank if you're a smoker. But there's another smoker over here that likes being with other smokers. And so they actually like that you're a smoker, uh, even though the regime, your score went down because you were a smoker. So I'm, I'm trying to think of the preferences of the individuals who are being with the other people socially. Those are varied on both sides of the person who, whatever their score is and whatever attributes they bring to the table, there's differentiated attributes with the other person as well. Exactly. Like look at any friend group or like a marriage, right? How many times have you gone out to dinner with another couple and been like, jeez. But, you know, for all of you know, they're in the cab on the way home going, jeez. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the point. Yep. So, but the fact that this is impossible to do objectively, I don't think detracts from the purpose of it, which the the purpose of it isn't to actually establish a social credit that actively reflects people's social credit to each other, right? To harmonize. It It is a method for wrangling society, right? And for ranking somebody 
as socially valuable to the regime. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, there was this book 15 years ago by Cass Sunstein called Nudge, which was, you know, we actually shouldn't force people to make decisions. What we can do instead is just change their incentives such that we can nudge people to make better decisions. And this seems like, okay, let's take nudging as far as we can. In some cases, it's over the line a little bit into just outright coercion. But I'm always worried when I see regimes do this kind of thing. Okay, I just had a little bit of an epiphany. So you can tell me if my logic's flawed, which you probably will. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, well, why, why would you want these people being your minions and, and, you know, following the regime unless the regime is trying to expand? Are they just building an army for world domination? Join us for next week's podcast. <laughs> well, seriously, if you think about it, because I was struggling, like if, if you're not, if you're just planning to be socially harmonized within your current boundaries, geographical boundaries, and we've kind of are figuring out that this causes some discord with each other. Like people aren't talking to each other very nicely and they want to build up their score falsely and, and whatever. And, and this isn't really harmonizing anything, but it is training you to follow the regime. Is that because we're planning to expand the regime into Pakistan, into Africa, where they're laying down roads and bridges and infrastructure and other things? I don't think regimes require expansion in order to want to do the kind of thing that the social credit score is doing. Yeah, right? it just seems more plausible to me now. You sound like uh, <laughs> Lenin to me. Uh, so Lenin's critique of capitalism, right, was that capitalism has to always be ever expanding, right? So this is Russ's Leninist critique of communism. Uh, uh, How bizarre. Yeah. Um, you would also think, well, compared to what, right? Are is China torn apart from the inside compared to other freer countries? Um, and then you go, well, I don't know. Are we that harmonious compared to China? Are we that free compared to <laughs> right, China? Right. right. Yeah. But I think what you do see is maybe not so much. What I'm not worried about is China expanding the reach of its regime. What I am worried about is other regimes embracing the, the methods the of methods. China, right? So right now you can see in Australia, police going yeah. door to door saying, uh, you know, hey, mate, we saw you posted on your uh, Facebook or whatever. Uh, How are you? Yeah. Down by the Bobby. Yeah. The strip of the Bobby would be with all the people COVID. I just want to make sure you know that you can't. Do you know of any protests that are happening, right? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. So these people are being, the police are coming to their house. In some cases, they're being arrested for sharing a link to a protest. And it's, this is, we are seeing other regimes adopt these methods and you're seeing it. Yeah. Slow trickle into the United States. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, on that hilarious note, sad note at the same time, sad, but hilarious note. I love how we just use laughter, and other things to bring across powerful messages here at the Gortney Institute. <laughs> so this has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. A five-star rating helps other people find our show, and be sure to forward it along to others if you think they'd like to listen. Other than that, be fruitful multiply. Thanks. <laughs>